Welcome to the Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we find out how people organize information to get things done. I am your host, Jorge Arango. My guest today is Nate Davis. Nate is an independent information architecture consultant and a longtime contributor to the global IA community. In this conversation, we discuss his ideas about IA subdisciplines that influence the construction of digital user interfaces. And now, Nate Davis. Nate, welcome to the show. Great, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you. I've known you for a long time, and we've crossed paths in so many conferences, mostly conferences, right? And information architecture conferences at that. But I feel like you and I have actually had little time to sit down and talk, like properly talk. And I see this podcast as an opportunity to correct that. For folks who might not be familiar with you and your work, would you mind please introducing yourself? Sure, thanks. Uh, my name's Nate Davis, and I am an information architecture consultant. And I, I specialize in an area at the moment that I've been researching and developing over, over for a while called what I call UI structural engineering. And it's really about what happens once you've designed a structure. Can you reference it? Can you evaluate it? Can you systematize the structure of your UI, right? And most recently, what does that look like in the age of artificial intelligence? And so I'm still exploring that. I was led into the, this part of the practice through my theoretical and scientific programs uh, about information and architecture. And I'm really interested in about its uh, properties, and attributes, and, and how information architecture impacts or has impacted at a, a systemic level. And so uh, I was an, an early advocate of practice and discipline uh, when I entered this field. And so I spent a lot of time wrangling around that and what that meant, especially as someone who at the time I was also a manager in a large Fortune 500 company that was managing information architects and, and experienced designers. And as a result, I've always had the responsibility to situate information architecture in the context of an organization that we have to serve. And I guess going back to how I got into this, like my origin story as a, a, a professional is really in marketing communications. Uh, and so I naturally evolved and moved into from print communications into digital communications uh, and having a strategic responsibility when you're thinking about communications, you know, you always have to be concerned about the outcomes. And so um, what I had the responsibilities and the perspective that I had in the print medium, right, transferred very well into the web. And that landed me in this space of having to own and synthesize the framing, right, of the goals of a client of what they were trying to achieve. And it's the same thing with uh, user interfaces, like, well, what are the, what's, what is the owner's intention here? And how do we translate that into something that can be communicated uh, effectively. As we know, the web and digital applications just add on multiple layers of complexity. And so uh, that was like um, the, the main driver that just kept the line media deeper and deeper into this practice. I feel like pinching and zooming on that phrase, UI structural engineering, 
And I'll, I'll tell you what I heard in the way that you introduced yourself mm-hmm. is that you inhabit what might be thought of as a kind of liminal zone between the very strategic part of this practice that has to do with figuring out what we're doing, what's in service to, and all that, with the operationalizing of those decisions. Is that a mm-hmm. fair take? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm an information architect that's trying to understand the information architecture of the practice, <laughs> you know, in a way. And I've been doing that uh, for a long time, um, knowing that understanding where the rest of the industry is in trying to uh, have to deal with uh, rapid and iterative development cycles and design cycles, but also knowing that at some at any point, my team or uh, a digital organization could experience this level of complexity immediately, like exponentially. And then the question, I always wanted to be able to, to say, okay, yeah, I know where we need to go next. You know, I see how this this gets really deliver value. And I knew when I was getting into this uh, that I really had to be in an enterprise environment because that's where all the wicked problems were. And I had done a lot of consulting in, in, in startups, you know, smaller, mid-sized, small companies and and uh, did some consulting, but it was like, you know what, these this has to be much more complex in these larger environments. And so I was fortunate to be able to it's been about 14 years in a, a large enterprise for uh, Fortune 500 company, and that's where I really played around and, and um, was able to put a lot of ideas to practice and test them out. One of the reasons that I reached out to have this conversation is an essay you posted to LinkedIn called Four Information Architecture Disciplines Every Team Should Consider When Building Digital User Interfaces. And I was hoping that you would tell us about that. Uh, and I'll give a very high-level overview of how I understood it, but I want you to elaborate on it. So what I got from this is that you're arguing that there are these four areas of interest or sub-disciplines within information architecture. Like you said earlier that you're concerned with the information architecture of information architecture as a discipline or area of practice. And you lay out four of them. And I was hoping you would tell us what they are and why write about this. So though I wrote about this because one, as a consultant, it's important for me to ensure that when I'm speaking to customers that they have a way to understand uh, or some type of educational materials that they can also understand where I'm coming from. So I think I wanted to do this as a general way to educate the, the, the rest of the market to say, hey, this is what's going on around information architecture. And it was important also to do this because as we know over the years, it's been very difficult for a lot of people to articulate information architecture in a way where it's it's tangible to people and and um and practical in some cases and also situational and and i think that it's i wanted to get at that is to help people to situate to say okay this is how i can use someone with uh information architecture chops right or this is how from a designer this is how i can 
leverage some of the other thoughts and areas of concern that information architecture is considering and maybe uh, improve my UX or UI design game a little bit more because it's like it's more than just these things. And, and that's why I wanted to get at it is to kind of um, get the idea out there that information architecture is more than just these popular ideas, which is the more tactical that we see. In terms of setting it up, one of the patterns that I saw in my research that also plays out in environments of human behavior, even though I'm studying information, uh, it's, you know, I can look at a, a human space, right, behaviors and activities and see correlations. And so one of the things that I knew that there was likely a better way to express to people what's happening in information architecture to reduce some of that confusion. Because if you try to take something that's really large and complex and try to sum it up as one thing, you're going to get a lot of different opinions on that because rightfully so, that there is this diversity and variety in really everything. And, and I've been doing this in my career as well, but um, is to try to say, okay, let's, I'm going to open this up a little larger for people to see a few different lenses, patterns of behavior and patterns of uh, practice that are very distinct from each other, but they're all very complementary um, and necessary. And depending on what you're doing and, and depending on the complexity of the interface that you're working with, you may have to toggle up and down on any of these. And if you look at the different um, consulting firms that are out there, right, that position themselves as, as information architecture firms, there are many, but however, you can see a difference that there are some information architecture firms or practitioners that are very interested in the architectural side of what we're trying to do. And that's where uh, the, there is this modeling of intent. It's not thinking about the interaction at all. It's thinking about the genesis of goals and objectives and trying to get to that coherence. And then the other area, this other section, the subdiscipline, right, which would be the, what I'm called, what I will call the design portion of our discipline. And this is the most popular. This is where, hey, we, we're now trying to solve something, right? And this is where we're actually creating, uh, um, based on what you're trying to achieve and based on these goals, here's the structure of a particular flow over or a use case. This is how someone may have to navigate from point A to point C or point D, right? And probably have different paths. And so designing those artifacts, designing those models, that's the solution, right? And that's where we find most people playing in that space. And so we end up with these artifacts, right? We end up with models, we end up taxonomy, sitemaps, flows, and just a host of artifacts to help explain, to help describe what content is or how content and information needs to be structured to support that that interactive design right and like i said before earlier the engineering piece of it for me is where i spend a lot of my time in, and that's what happens is most teams 99 of the teams that are out there typically whoever it may be the, the team designers when they're they're doing some of this information architecture work and they're crafting the structural design it usually ends there, right? In a document, uh, in multiple documents scattered across the document verse. And these are all documents where they're the means to an end, just to get to an interface. But then no one considers if you need to revisit that uh, structural design, 
how do you do that in an efficient way? And for me, also in a systematic way, especially if you think about scale. If you're creating a, a small, a smaller website, some of these questions might not surface, right? Every site doesn't need this level of engineering. However, when you are dealing with enterprise applications that have significant complexity um, with access to content, with dynamic content generation, different modalities of where information can surface, business roles, yada, 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 right? All these things where there are uh, concepts and rules are tied to these, it becomes really important uh, to be able to quickly reference that and understand how all of these things are interconnecting. So that's where I kind of like play in that space. And then the last piece is the uh, the discipline of, of operations, right? And, and that's recognizing that while some systems and UIs are not really that demanding, you can kind of like once and done and you put it up and things are running pretty well. But again, when it's complex and we have multiple teams and business units and whatever, how you systematize workflows around maintaining that that UI structure becomes important. Those are the four kind of areas that help you address small project, but also when necessary, it, it positions you to be able to address these complex environments. I'm going to reflect that back to you because when I was reading the essay, I, I, I had questions and I had not had the opportunity to surface them. In particular, the, the, the questions about the distinctions between some of these lenses as you described them. So again, and reading it back to you, the four are the architecture of the mm -hmm. system, design, engineering, and operations, right? And you just described what they encompass. Mm -hmm. And what I got from the essay and also what I heard you say here, and, and I'm going to try to be pithy, mm -hmm. is that architecture is being used here as a noun to describe like the, the structural construct somehow. Mm -hmm. and, and it's a noun that's describing some kind of I'm going to use the word platonic model. It's like you have this model in your mind that you're aspiring for. Mm -hmm. Design is being used as a verb in that it's the way to get to that model, right? You, and you use the word solving, you know, solution, you know, like addressing some kind of user need, right? So you you go through this process of uh, understanding those needs and then addressing them through this architecture. Mm -hmm. And then engineering has to do with the implementation of the thing you've designed. And operations somehow has to do with maintaining that thing over time, right? So it, it, it's about how it addresses change over time somehow. Governance, right? Yeah. Is that a fair read on it? One of the things of my theoretical bent, I see information as a behavior. So, um, so... So when I describe something like architecture, design, engineering, and operations, I actually view all of those as activities. They're, they're actually behaviors. So it's an architectural behavior or architectural pattern of behavior of, in this case, we're talking about human behavior or in a collaborative environment. When you see people in, in this act of architecture, you will typically see the trending of people uh, cl clamoring around and trying to resolve intent, right? They're trying to align. They're looking broadly, systemically, but trying to get it to some coherent 
objective and, and goal. And I, so that's an architectural activity. Um, I'm calling it architecture here because in the article, just for the sake of communication, but if I were to get into the nuances of this, all of these are, are activities for me. It's interesting that you said the engineering, engineering part is implementation. This could be another conversation, but I would describe the engineering activity actually more as of instantiating the design. Implementation technically would be what, when, uh, let's say, a taxonomist or an ontologist actually now has to build that structure in the system, in some existing infrastructure using said software, right? Um, so I, I do want to separate that because I don't want to, because uh, um, the work that can be done as an information architect doesn't have to get as technical as people might think. Uh, I don't think you have to write code, write scripts at that level and have to play with RDF statements and, and deal with the types of uh, syntax and standards that would be expected for like a knowledge engineer that's working in that space. So that's where the implementation piece of it comes in. But we definitely have to be able to have conversations with those individuals and, and they are part of that, that helping to realize that functionality that you want in the user interface. That feels like a very important distinction that you've just made. And it's something that I'm, and I'm glad you brought it up because when you read engineering, I think that the tendency might be to assume that you're talking about like, well, this is the person who's actually going to be creating code that, you know, that, mm -hmm. that renders this front end, or like you said, populating this taxonomy management system or whatever. Yeah. But I think what you're talking about here might be the way that I'm hearing it. It's almost like the four lenses that you've described mm. talk about different stages in going from an abstract ideal of what the system is going to be mm. to a more realized um, a more realized instance and consumable like something that addresses real world needs which when you start and and uh, to try to put a, an accent on it mm. whenever I'm working on a model, I have this very abstract, idealized vision for what the primary distinctions in the system are going to be. You might have the public side of the system and the private side of the system. And within those categories, you have other subcategories. And it's all very abstract, right? Yeah. But then when you actually start thinking through the implications of those distinctions at the level of things like, well, what, how does this impact the user interface? You start realizing that these very sometimes overly simplistic distinctions don't hold water at that level, right? Yeah, yeah. And you have to, as a, as an engineer, I've gotten to the point where um, I'm looking at a whole different level of factors and dependencies that someone who's focused on the architect or the design piece of it. Because now as an engineer, I'm looking at making sure that the proper use cases are addressing not just say a consumer of information on a, on a customer side, but I'm also now looking at, okay, these other archetypes, does this particular set of, um, now that we've established, uh, uh, someone has designed this, this interface for a customer, for example, does the, uh, some of the conceptual models or the flows or whatever we're designing, does it also now, how does that connect to the owner of that system, for example, in their use cases, managers 
you know, that have to be engaged to sustain this interface, as well as contributors, right, behind the scenes. So there are all there are these other factors that contribute to the sustainability of any concept that you might come up with or any flow or anything that's structural, because it's not, you have to make sure that you're looking at all the other factors. And so if I think of a building, for example, yeah, I want to put a building up and I want it to look this way, but okay, great. Now the engineer comes in and says, have you considered an environment, right? Have you considered time? Have you, you know, uh, wear and tear, right? use on the structure, right? The load of volume and constant use. So there are all these other factors that come into play that are very technical, but that are focused on sustainability and durability, right? As it pertains to practical use, right? Do you want this to stand up for a month or do you want this to stand up for two years? Or do you want us to stand up for a month and put in place the necessary structure that allows you to scale? So you have to make sure that you're not so solution-oriented. Let's move away from very specific groups and categories and probably set up a higher-level framework so that you can scale it, right, and anticipate. So um, I would raise those types of questions and, and conversations at times, you know. Right. And then the the, the operations piece, mm-hmm. I get the sense that that's about creating the ongoing structures that will enable this structure to remain relevant over time, right? Yes, because the one of the thing that one of the uh, the central theme that I carry through in my form and practice and in my research, I I do adhere to when I talk about this in the, in the beginning of the article is at this higher level. Hopefully, I don't lose my thought because I'm going to back up a little bit. So at, at this higher level that relates to everything that any information architect, you know, who's out there saying, this is what I do. They're all going to boil back up to this idea, this central interest. And I've had to boil this down and and deduce this. And I did this a few years ago, but the idea is saying that information architecture, if we were to look at it academically, say, what what is all these, what's everyone really doing? And so I say that, you know, we're all really concerned with and these are themes that you'll see repeated in conversation and in articles and played out. But it sounds like that we are concerned with, and we're obsessed with in some cases, some of us are, right? With understanding how to how to facilitate shared understanding, right? And there's a lot there, but what does that mean, right? Getting to a get not just one person, what's how do you get a hundred people aligned, or how do you get a million people aligned around something, right? Some intention or some goal, right? But also, how do you facilitate shared alignment, right? And that alignment is more on uh, uh, about what do we all think we want to do? The first one is, what do we think we understand about some kind of space to make some kind of decision and have an objective, then how do we align all on that objective? And then the trick where all the information architects you can see is that we we go beyond that piece of it. We go to the point of, okay, we got it, but as we're doing it, let us make sure that we can conceptually make that, uh, that thread, all these threads and relationships as clear as possible and boil it down to 
its most simplest and efficient and as, as, as efficiently as possible, right? So getting that clarity. So that's something that should be seen. That should come out of any information architect. If someone comes across you, Rory, and they attend a workshop and they're working with you trying to get something, get a project done, they're going to get that. They're going to say, Jorge came in here and he boiled this thing down and made it so simple for us. It was unavoidable for us to, to see it, uh, the problem that we have differently anymore. We have it, Once we see it, it's like, oh, we can't unsee what he just showed us. <laughs> it's, it's clear. Um, and, and so imagine we do this on these smaller projects and 25 years ago, right, when the field started, we were doing this in, in very simple ways. And, and over the past few decades, it's, just, it's become more complex. And so imagine saying, for me, I, I carry this as a, a pillar of what I'm trying to do for, for an organization. I'm trying to help some large enterprise sustain shared understanding and align with conceptual clarity, right? So now that becomes operational tasks. Uh, for someone that's responsible, you know, in trying to, you know, implement information architecture for user interfaces in an organization is now my job is to, it's been, these interfaces are being uh, architected, these structures are being architected, designed and engineered. Now, how do we maintain that for possibly thousands of people who have some need to reference or use the um, uh, the insights and knowledge that that's being captured in this, either for an application or for simple business insights that can contribute from a data perspective, if you're doing data analytics, or just from helping an organization to maintain the coherence of their data catalog or vocabulary for their business. The sentence I wrote down when you were saying this, which to me serves kind of as a synthesis of what you're talking about, but of the field more broadly seen through this lens is, I'm going to read it to you and get your reaction to it. The sentence says, clarity and order in service to shared understanding at scale. Is that fair? It could be at scale or could be at smaller levels. It doesn't have to say it to be at scale, right? Right. Uh, it's like walking into a room and you can almost, you know, if, it, if it's just two people, you know, um, because information architecture as this as an area of study, as a concern, right? We almost don't care what the domain of it is, right? We can walk into a room and two people and we can almost do use, you know, do conflict resolution <laughs> in a way, right? You say, hey, I hear you, I hear you, and I also hear all these other things. Oh, this is where this is what's going on here. I, ideally, for me, I'm interested in scale, right? But everyone's not interested in scale. I would say that it's 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 just focused on getting to that clarity so that, that something can be done, whatever the intention is that is shared within that space can be done so in a sustainable way. And, um, and that's the trick too, right? Because businesses, sometimes they don't think that they're thinking about themselves and product owners might be thinking about themselves. And they don't realize that they are a part or they're sharing in this system. And so my intention for me to be able to do what I want to do or achieve what I want to achieve, I have to make sure that it's aligned with these other, or I have to recognize all these other 
intentions and objectives that are sharing the same space. And what is that? Am I aware of those things? And how does that impact me to sustainably achieve some of the goals that I have? And, and sometimes when we do this work in discovery and research, we find that your intentions are your intentions. However, to su- su- sustainably achieve what you want to do, you may have to adjust what you're really trying to achieve. And maybe what you're trying to achieve may have to be re restated or redefined, right? Or adjusted, right? And there may be some compromises. So those are things that we end up finding, right? In the, in the process is, you know, uh, I find a lot of clients recognize, oh, this is what I really want, <laughs> you know? And as a result, this is what we need to do in order to get there. That's clarifying. I have, uh, I have two more questions for you. So second to last here is about AI, which you alluded to at the beginning of our conversation. And I'm going to read a sentence from your essay. So you say, quote, any human-centered job displaced by technology that requires a command of human communication necessitates a proportionate number of human resources to maintain the reliable transformation of domain knowledge, conceptual integrity, and corporate accountability, end quote. And when I read that, the question that came to mind was, is this still true after GPT-4, right? <laughs> yeah, that's my thesis. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, so here's the thing is, um, and I think that, that statement might not work for every domain that's out there. I think there are c- certain jobs that will be displaced because of the efficiency brought on by automation that that comes from using large language models and methods for artificial intelligence. Um, I, particularly as it relates to the work that I'm interested in and the the work that a lot of information architects are trying to get at is what you will find that um, are the, the, some of the challenges for artificial intelligence or or large language models uh, more specifically is that it is now augmenting or becoming an alternative source for information, right? Um, and it's not necess- and it's not uh, uh, because of the way that it it technically uh, is is architected, it is not able to check itself. It doesn't know what it doesn't know. And as a result, it doesn't, in some cases, in many cases, it doesn't necessarily understand meaning and the nuances of semantics or inferencing in some cases where it matters. I know that there's te- there, there's efforts in trying to close a lot of these gaps, but there's there 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 is a an area of I guess what I'm getting at is that there is a level of accountability that will still be that was going actually going to be created, right? And I think a lot of the accountability doesn't even exist today. And so hopefully organizations will realize that in order to be accountable conceptually, right? Or if a statement is made, there has to be uh, th- that statement that an agent is now making on behalf of an organization has to trace back to clear intent and understanding and making sure that it's connecting back to what is understood in the organization and what is aligned to the organization. And that's a lot of work because you still need people to speak on behalf of the business. Then you also need now to make sure that there are people who are helping 
who's tra- who are translating what the business understands into smaller bits and, or chunks of information and content and concepts that can be transformed into data so that uh, and content so that large language models can use that internally in an organization to stay aligned, right? So there is this alignment issue of accountability that, that systems will always have forever until we decide to uh, allow technology to act on behalf of us, <laughs> right? And that it's over then if that ever happens. So, um, so I, so I do think that, especially now that there's going to be, there should be more effort in uh, making sure that you have individuals who are thinking about, well, how do we make sure that what is said by and done by these artificial agents, that they're conceptually aligned with the organization. And that's where we play. And it's an opportunity. Yeah, the, the, the way I'm hearing that is that these large language models in particular can be really useful tools to do things like spot patterns, maybe sketch out possible solutions, et cetera. But, but ultimately, ontologically, the buck stops with humans, right? Oh, sure. Sure. Because they, 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 these systems, you know, they're operating on behalf of us. And so as a result, they should always be accountable to us. And so how do we put those measures in place? And that's a lot of, there's a lot, I mean, you're talking about risk, compliance, just simple facts, what's fact versus what's fiction or what's aspirational or, you know, there's, and uh, all these different levels and layers, these different, all these other domains, there are other domains as experts that have to be connected to all this. And and I do think that, um, you know, information architect practitioners have the skill sets to be able to help with a lot of that work of helping to uh, organizations to transform uh, a lot of these abstract concepts and begin moving them into conceptual data patterns uh, or being part of the process of seeing these patterns and working with content strategists, for example, or writers to actually write the content so that the models can reconsume, you know, consume that. And then you have knowledge engineers who are building ontologies and they're seeing those patterns and making those corrections. So I think there's a, hopefully we'll see a new type of team come into play in the future that's focused on conceptual integrity and provenance for the the enterprise. That's great. And uh, this is such a, uh, such a rich subject. We could keep talking on this. I'll ask the, the time is running short. So now I'll ask you the last question, which is, where can folks find out more about you and follow up with you? That's a great question. You can find me on LinkedIn and uh, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn. And also I have a consulting practice that is called Method Brain. And so you can find me at methodbrain.com. Fantastic. I will include links to all of those things and to your essay in the show notes so that folks can check it out. Thank you, Nate, for uh, your time, for being with us and for sharing your knowledge and expertise. Thanks, Ray. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Before we go, I have a brief commercial announcement. If, like many people, you find yourself overwhelmed with information, you need to set up better systems to manage it. In a few weeks, Carl Fast and I will teach a workshop to show you how to do just that. Visit buildapkg.com for more details. That's buildapkg.com. Thanks.